0: Welcome to Talk Time with Max Contact, the podcast where we talk about the latest contact center and customer experience, industry news and insights. Join us as we welcome industry experts, discuss actionable strategies you can apply to your business and help professionals like you on your path to long-term career progression and success. I'm your host, Sean McIver. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Talk Time with Max Contact and your host, Sean McIver. Our guest for today's episode is customer service center specialist and consultant, Marianne Roots. Marianne has over two decades of experience helping multilingual contact centers turn around their frontline operations. She's worked across a diverse range of industries from banking to fintech to travel. Some of the brands that she's worked with include Santander, Hertz, Ralph Lauren, and Thomas Cook. Marianne's here today to talk about achieving true customer centricity. Marianne, I could have spent that entire introduction just listing some of the huge brands that you've worked with. Did I miss any key ones that you really wanted me to name?
1: No, you mentioned the one where I really learned my ropes and that was actually with Hertz. Hertz Customer Services brought up a big contact center in Dublin over 20 years ago, 1998, to be precise. And as a Swiss national, I still needed a a work visa to work abroad. Switzerland had no agreements with the European Union, never mind being part of it. And you're not going to go political. I had the queue to get a work permit and hers sponsored that permit. And then... Everything really changed. I went there as a travel expert because I studied hotel and tourism. I worked in travel for many years in Switzerland, got that opportunity, and I became a contact center expert. And at the time, people said, You work in a contact center, are you for it? That's a call center you're working in. And I'm kind of going, Yes. And I absolutely love it, and I still do. So, no, you mentioned the most important one, short answer. Thank you.
0: No, no problem at all. That's fine. Now, today we're going to talk to us about true customer centricity. So I'm going to start off with asking you to define what you mean by that and explain how customer centricity can be demonstrated in any given contact center organization.
1: I think that is a wonderful question because customer centricity is a buzzword. Everybody uses it. If you speak to expert, whether it's customer experience, whether it's marketing, everybody, even if you do a website, oh, it's all about our customers. It, they tell me it's about our customers. And I'm kind of going, so, and who exactly is your customer? And then I get the box and the answer, well, you know, the person that bought my travel package, the person that uh, buys our cars. The person that uses us to bring the groceries, if you speak to Sainsbury's, for example, or Morrison's in the UK. And I'm kind of going, yeah. But what about me, in-centre? What about my employees? What about the IT guy that always fixes my laptop when it breaks down or I can't log in and they can't sign passwords? What about those people? And what about the people that keep the quality on track and quality assurance is important? What about the legal people? And when you start talking about in-center, in-house, in-organization, customer service, I'm kind of getting, oh, oh, should we do something here maybe? and Then the penny drops. So true customer centricity is really three-dimensional, if you wish. It talks about the people, meaning your customers and your staff, and you're executive team, just anyone really, because we are customers of each other. It talks about processes that are customer friendly, that are easy to use, platforms that are intuitive. That's customer centricity. And you talk about profit, you talk about money. Customer service usually is seen as, oh dear, we need to deal with that and it's a cost. And that is true on its face. But if you then start digging, there is so much saving to be made if you get people and process right, so that indeed your customer service team or people that work with you, they start promoting you. And then it becomes a revenue-generating opportunity. And only in my world, if these three dimensions are truly met, then I believe this is a customer-centric firm.
0: So... On the back of that then, to follow up, what, if any, are the, the guiding metrics that people look at when considering this true customer centricity?
1: That depends on typically the client or when I work with clients, they have a view and they tell me, you need to look into such and such and you need to look into our AHT, and we want to average handling time and we want to know how many returns we are getting and how we can reduce them. And I'm kind of going, oh, hang on a second. Can you just backtrack this a little bit more? Because there's always people behind it. So if you're wanting to reduce your average handling time, which is a typical metric that is still not very much used, although personally I find it's outdated, because if with all the AI that we now have, if I speak to an advisor about the customer service issue, I have already exhausted every other avenue to sort my issue. I've been online, I've chatted, I've done the FAQs, I have reset my password, et cetera, et cetera, nothing works. So therefore, I now want to speak to you, dear customer service advisor, and I do not want to be told what we did once at the time in Santander. After eight minutes, because that's long, so an average handling time, I'm very sorry, now you need to send me an email. Yeah. So if that happens, that is not customer-centricity. So really, you need to consider the role of your people. What do they do? And are they empowered to help customers in-house or external? Do they actually have job descriptions that back this up? So And you will be surprised how often that's actually not the case. Do they know what's expected from them and are they happy? Because if that piece is broken, it's very hard to deliver a good customer experience and be a customer-centric firm. The second piece we always look into is how do your processes really work? Because on the platform, on the website, for example, let's say you have a web shop. Or you book your travel online, which is quite common, let's face it. It looks dead easy if all goes smoothly. What when it breaks? So, for example, you have, we touched earlier on that, on that uh, piece where I tried to book a ticket from a t- tiny little Swiss village to Wiesbaden, not exactly a big uh, city, but a, a city in Germany, outside Frank- a, a bit of before Frankfurt. And I tried everything I could. I could not book that ticket online. Now, there's something wrong in the process. I've since been educated and it would go way too far to go into this. But in essence, the Swiss booking system doesn't talk to the international booking system. So I ended up booking my ticket with Swiss with Swiss Railway and German Railway. I traveled on a travel travel line ticket, travel UK ticket. That's a bit odd, isn't it? So your processes need to be there. And last but not least, I always ask what kind of a budget have you actually got for your customer service delivery? And then you find if it's often so small that it's very, very difficult to really make an impact. And that has to do with people not wanting to pay pay Big salaries for customer service advisors. It's still one of the roles that is deemed to be kind of lower end salary. If you then become a team leader, maybe you get in the UK, you get to a £30,000, £35,000 per annum. That's not a massive big salary. And yet, you are in a key role to make or break this customer. And will, will you ensure that this customer turns out into a lifetime customer and therefore brings lifetime value, or you could be responsible that this customer never ever books your product or buys your product again. So that's what we are looking at. The, the pure metrics behind it, like CSAT or Pilot reviews, which are very obvious in your face, they are an output of what I just described. So if. Toss pilot is very low, very poor. You know something is badly broken if Trustpilot reviews are not answered, which happens. Why do you even bother being there if you never care to answer?
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think it speaks to something that I, I was going to bring up later on, but I'm going to raise it now. Yeah. I know that you, you yourself did a podcast, uh, the Operational Excellence Show. Yeah. And you had the opportunity to speak to industry leaders now, I could only speak to my experience, but I did notice that in my time doing this podcast and listening to some of yours, I've noticed that there are often themes that come through, such as the idea of customer centricity, but they come through everyone we speak to. Why do you think we have these big themes everyone seems to be aware of, but they seem to remain just that? They're big themes or big ideas or big issues. And so it doesn't feel like the industry as a whole is really tackling this issue.
1: I think it's A, as I mentioned earlier, it's a buzzword. You have to have it. You have to have, to. you need to talk about continuous improvement. If you don't, you're not selling. It's a sales tool. It's a tool to gain new customers, if, especially if you're working the outsourcing world, which I've been in for a long time. Customer-centricity was always somewhere, but when it then comes to actually executing what it means, which is you need to hire the right people. When you hire people, you need to make sure that they meet a certain skill set. Now, we don't want to go down the road and say, we are not entertaining your application because of your accent, but let's face it, I have an accent and I know in Switzerland my accent is quite neutral in Swiss German. But if I speak to somebody from uh, the other side of the Mount Gotthard, let's say the valleys, I don't understand them. They don't understand me. So when I do customer service there, I need to be very careful what I'm hiring. What accent am I actually hiring? That means that's work involved. Then you need to really provide proper training. That's a cost. One firm that does it extremely well, and I don't have shares in Hyatt, but Hyatt Hotel Group, they have an amazing onboarding and training uh, course when they get new advisors on board. And why do they do that? Because when you enter a Hyatt Hotel, you get the same experience everywhere around the world. And it doesn't matter whether it's one of their higher-end properties that they sell or one of their medium-standard properties you sell or you buy. So that means training. Training is always at the start of the cost, always, always. So, therefore, if you are not committing a budget to close the loop to the previous couple of of words I said, if there's no budget to invest in the people that are supposed to deliver the service, then your customer simplicity falls off the wagon as soon as after marketing, person bought the product, bought you a holiday or whatever, and when something goes wrong, and it's broken, then your customer centricity is just simply not there. But it's a great buzzword. And it's, it's, you know, you walk into a shop and say, yes, we put the customer at the heart of everything we do. Do you really? Yeah. And you have to prove to me as a firm that you do. I am Because when I come in, I can guarantee you I find something that you may not have been aware or you are aware, but you didn't want to be aware. I can find something that's broken. Because things do break and that's normal. But the process beyond that, how do you turn a disgruntled customer that gave you a one on trust pilot or a such a negative CSAT score that at the end says, I didn't get what I wanted, but thank you for helping me and listening to me. This customer will come back, although he or she was disgruntled at the start.
0: It's interesting, and you've opened up two different avenues there. And the first one I'd like to just ask on. Links back to something that I read and on. it comes back to something that you said was a commitment to something that came from, I believe it was your father. Yes. Soup, soap, salvation. Correct. Yeah. And you need to feed and water people before offering them products or services. Can you just expand on that principle and how it's influenced your work in the industry?
1: Well, um, thank you for asking that question. Yeah, I think. My father was a minister in the Protestant church, and I, I grew up that way. And when I was a child, we always had people from all walks of life in our house. There was always a bedroom ready for people to stay overnight. There was always food on the table. And if somebody came in late at night with my dad, my mom would always still go and cook them a meal. And we were always wondering, but, but it's fine, they can sleep. It's just not enough. It is not enough. You need to really take care of people's first and foremost needs before you can do something else or before you can educate them or before you can demand or ask something of them. So this is the soup. So salvation is, I believe it's the Salvation Army's slogan or was at the time. My dad just ad- adopted it and he absolutely lived it. So kind of care about other people I never knew any different. And when I then entered the industry, my eyes were open because there was no budget. We didn't answer customers. We would send them a an email out and say, yeah, thank you very much. We you got your query, but actually no refund you goodbye, which is whether listening to what the issue was, not actually phoning the customer, nor thinking about what the impact this may have. I was like, I can't do that. I can't work in this industry. Until I realized if I walk away now, hundreds of others will walk away as well. And then what? So the issue is that that we are called to serve. You can call it whatever you want. You hire yourself. You got whatever you want. But there's a call to serve. And this call to serve applies from me to you and from you to me. And if I really lift that, people start to notice. And exactly that's what happened. People started to notice. So in Hertz, I then had a really great opportunity to learn the trade, KPIs, measures. It's important that we have numbers. Absolutely, don't get me wrong, we need numbers. But the numbers need to talk. And I need to be able to use the numbers to talk to other people. And that's how then it also influenced my career. I realized I can do something here and I still do.
0: The other thing that you mentioned was around accents and regionality. Mm -hmm. And I read with no small amount of envy that your career has taken you to various locations around the world. Yeah, And I just wanted to unpack that a little, how have cultural differences impacted your work in the contact center industry? And I suppose with that in mind, how do you deliver not only multilingual support but also crucially culturally sensitive support?
1: I think here being a Swiss national and growing I've grown up in Switzerland so Switzerland has four national languages and a number of regions that work independently with various accents and various ins and outs of how the canton works That's just the makeup of a Swiss person in general when I came to the UK and to Ireland in particular at the start, I realised that that was helping me because, A, I could talk a number of languages, which not very many Irish people could and not very many Brits could. And secondly, as soon as you can talk to somebody in their own language, there is a connection. And even if it's just, hello, how are you doing? Did you have a nice weekend? As our conversation started, it gives a connection. You then can build on that. Now, when it comes to cultural differences, I'll tell you a story. I had an opportunity to deliver for Lexmark at the time, a contact center solution in Bangalore. Now that was English. Happy days. But then it's me with my wonderful red Swiss passport, working into this contact center, being a bit overwhelmed, 3,000 people. Everybody very, very busy. I was given an office and I thought I'd rather sit on the floor, on the contact center floor. But I took the office. People came in, but brought me tea and my lunch was brought to me. And I kind of going, I can get my own lunch, but still didn't say anything. And then they brought me to an apartment. And in this apartment, there was a cook waiting for me and a maid and a driver. And I went to bed and I thought I, I'm not doing this. The following morning, I found Little Roots, told, walked into the site director's office and I said to the site director, Shoman at the time, do you know what, showman? you can save all that money. I can do my own shopping. I do my own washing. And actually, when I get home at 3 a.m., 3 I just want to go to bed. I don't need to cook. They're waiting for me, asking do I want something to eat. Shulman looked at me and he sat me down and he said, OK, it's like that. You are here for a year. We have hired these people. These people now have a job for a year. They have families at home. Five, six, ten people relying on their salary, relying that you take their service, so they're you, sucking them all. And I was like, oh dear. I was not culturally sensitive to how my Indian colleagues needed those jobs. That was an eye-opener. It never, ever happened again. But it also helped me because I experienced that when I now put up a new contact center somewhere, and let's say it's multilingual and there's Spanish and there's Portuguese, Italian, there's German. I know that an Italian phone call takes longer the a German phone call because the Italians like to chat. They like to talk about the weather. The German person wants to get stuff done. They don't want to talk about how they are nor what they have been doing over the weekend. They just want the matter solved.
0: It's interesting because the cultural awareness that you have when you talk to people of different nationalities and from different backgrounds, that essentially becomes data points. Yeah. And if we think about contact centers as being a source of data, contact centers generate huge, oh, huge. amounts of data every day. Yeah. And I suppose one of the challenges of a contact center and, and of the industry is how companies can better leverage their analytics. And with the advent of AI, you can provide these, in theory, hyper-personalized experiences and meet customers Expectations which have risen over the past two decades, I would argue exponentially. Yeah. The challenge there though, and it's twofold, the challenge there is that companies want to optimize costs. Yes. Customers want more human empathetic service. Correct. So how can businesses strike the right balance between automation and the human touch?
1: It starts how you use automation. And that goes into the process piece of the framework that I always use. It's not good enough to buy a number of apps and think they should all talk to each other and problems go away. So this design of how you're using various applications, including chat and chatbot, is hugely crucial. And it, it requires time. It requires knowledge. To deliver that, you need people. See, your backend is only ever as good as the people who fed the backend. So if you're using FAQs, the answer is only as good as whoever provided the answer. If you're using a chatbot and you're training a chatbot, the answer that the chatbot gives is only as good as what was fed at the backend. The same with translation software, etc. So there's a massive opportunity and that is a cost upfront when it works. It's beautiful. Then you start making the savings. But firms need to be very clear. If they go down that road, the investment is upfront. The benefit comes six, nine, 12 months later. That needs to be very, very clear. But what it then does is by the time a customer is really stuck, something is completely broken or extremely complex, you can afford to have a person sitting there talking to that customer but the verbatim that you use to um, feed and train your let's say chatbot agent that is important work and how often firms take or have taken in the past at least have taken a shortcut there that never pays that never pays off never so how do you get customer centricity into AI is creating the right design, spend time and link the right applications with the various technologies that you're using. So, for example, if a firm uses SAP, which a lot of firms use nowadays, you can do so much more than just logging a ticket and working the ticket and closing the ticket. But you need to be willing to investigate and you need to be willing to invest. When you have done that, your people can really just focus and listen to What is the customer's problem really? And then this screaming down the line should actually also go away or at least be a little bit less. Or the advisor can say, yes, I am sorry you had this experience. Tell me all about it. I am here to help. But there's no AHT attached anymore, okay? The measure then is the quality of the case, not an AHT of 360 seconds.
0: I agree with you on that one. And I think it speaks to what you were saying of your experiences when you worked at Hertz, when you told people that you were working for a contact center and the reactions that you got to that. And it's, I think until very recently, it wasn't viewed as being a skilled career path. Absolutely. And I think that's something that I'm glad to say appears to have gone through something of a transformation, maybe all over in the last five years or so through the course of the pandemic. Just to box off the piece we were talking around on customer data and how much customer data we have and wanting a personalized experience. This is a bit of an unusual question, but I think I'm going to frame it and then I'll explain what I mean by that. But how big is the risk of over-personalization and the risk of it becoming transparent or false? And what I mean by that is, I'll give the example. I often have conversations with my friends and they don't like the fact that, for example, in conversation, we'll be talking about washing machines. And then they'll go on to a social media site and they'll scroll through it and they'll notice that there's some pieces around washing machines in there. And it's that slightly unnerving degree that it can be over-personalized, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I just feel that, yeah, that feels like there's an element of risk there that I don't think has really been explored hugely. What are you, I wonder what your thoughts are there.
1: Can I just ask a, another question? By risk, do you mean a risk of exposure or a risk of saying something wrong that's untrue?
0: No, I think it's more a risk to customer experience because I think if it's hyper-personalized, if it's over-personalized, it could risk becoming somewhat false and disingenuous mm-hmm. If I call a contact center and then I have to contact them at a later time and they open the conversation with, oh, how was your holiday in Prague? I'm not sure how I would feel about that. That might feel like that was almost taking it to the extreme and going to almost an invasive degree.
1: It was infringing in your personal space. Yeah. Yeah. Get it. Get it. Okay. There is an element of that. And I think if you work in the contact center and full disclosure, I look a lot at, when especially when I work with firms who are very strong on social media, I really watch what are they doing and what is the answers that my advisors provide. So I'll give you an example. A company who has really evolved with their social media is our very own Cotswolds company in the UK. And we worked with them over nearly 18 months. And one of the challenges we found at the time is that Facebook comments on social, Instagram comments, and Trustpilot comments, they were not aligned. And depending on what platform the customer spent time, they were more or less engaged. And of course, if you then come with your own name, the advisor can go and see who you are. And then, as I say, they Google you and then all of a sudden they realize, oh, they had two broken chairs and they were on holiday in Spain and they just bought a new car. Now, from a customer service advisor, that is confidential between you as the customer service advisor and the customer. And you are not, unless the customer offers information, you are not to touch on this. End of. There is a legal aspect to this which, which in the widest thing, falls on the GDPR because the customer, yes, he shared it on social, but he didn't mean to share it with you. In, let's say, the Cotswold company who you bought the chair for, from, they didn't have to know that you all, they also bought the car. And that is, again, down to training. When we train customer service advisors today, there is a big emphasis on how do you respect the privacy of a customer? How do you treat them as a customer? Not as a social person that you happen to have met somewhere. And especially if you were to speak to a German person and say, and how was your holiday in Greece? They would hang up on you. That is not what they asked. That's not what they want to discuss. They contacted us via Facebook. Fine. They have a concern. The concern needs answering. End of.
0: Yeah, I agree. And it's it's something that I read something about recently, and it was in relation to artificial intelligence. And it was an exploration of what the what ifs, and I thought it was a really interesting point and yeah. that's why I wanted to just get your insight on it.
1: I think you could actually go if you were to do an exercise, which I do regularly, use ChatGPT, say key in, keywords cookie, Marianne Rotz, travel, Deutsche Bahn, SPB. You would find the response you would get would have some truths in it, some false, clearly. They're not quite there yet. And you would know a lot about me. Do I want to discuss this with you? Unless I offer, probably not.
0: Yeah, I agree. Just to circle back around then, I'm conscious of time, so I think I've only really got time <laughs> for, for one final question, unfortunately, and I'm trying to decide which one to go with. I <laughs> So I'm going to go with a really broad question. Yeah. In your view, how has the approach to customer centricity changed over the last two decades? And... Where do you hope to see it go in the future?
1: Okay, that is a broad question. When I started off in the industry, we at the time in Hertz, we still were working with a notebook, a headset, actually a phone on a handle. So, you know, we sat there with the phone on the ear and our ear, we couldn't leave the desk and people would complain by phone or email. To provide a level of customer centricity from that aspect was there. And Hertz had at the time already quite a sophisticated membership program, the Hertz Gold I don't know whether you remember, but that was a big thing at the time. So we knew quite a lot of our, about our customer and we looked that up. Today, you're going to think, gosh, this was a dinosaur approach. I know much more about customers now. But that was the starting point. It then became all about cost saving and AHT and files per hour and contacts per hour and cost per minute etc. And the customer centricity just disappeared. It just didn't exist anymore because it had to be fast, cheap and dirty. That's why contact centers went to Ireland. They got a big tax break there. That's why contact centers went to India. A cool example is BT, British Telecom, who went all to India and had to bring it all back because customers didn't get a service. So we went totally the opposite. And over time, people started to realize, well, hang on a second, there's competition out there. How do I actually make myself different to my competitor? Where is the differentiation? And they realized it's how I deal with the customer. So the marketing change became more personal. The sales process became more personal. The customer service process became more personal. Then I had to realize, oh, that costs money. Now I need to do something with all the, the trivia that needs to be dealt with, but I don't have the money for, so I can spend the money on people. And that's where we are, I would say, where we are now. Ideally, I would go to a approach as we see in excellent hospitality, I come here, I come to you, I'm buying your service. I want to be treated like the king, but I am not the king. And that's where I want to go.
0: I desperately hope that we get there. Yeah, it's been, unfortunately, I'm aware that I am out of time. I could continue talking about this subject for much longer. Thank you. But it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you today, marie Wood, And, ah. Oh, Okay, I've got time for one last question. A very, oh, very that... quick question.
1: Okay, quick answer then. <laughs>
0: if I remember rightly, you've just started a new role oh, in a yes. new company yes. and you're working alongside, and I hope I get this right, you're working alongside your husband. Is that correct? Yeah. How yeah. is it going?
1: Oh, sure. You're an eye you <laughs> <laughs> Actually... The industry is new to me. It's factoring in property management. The problems are exactly the same. And you know what? If our customers, our homeowners, they have a problem, let's say, with the service that was provided on their front lawn or let that's the service that was provided with the lightning, etc., it's more than just their problem. They have a wife. They may have small children. They may have elderly parents in the same estate. All of them have no electricity, let's say. Heavens. I need to fix it. So the issues are exactly the same. And that's what really, really gives me joy to just say, okay, guys, this is how we do this. Now, do I have a lot to learn? Yes, I do. My husband is the, cost, is the subject matter expert, but I'm the one that can say, well, hang on a second. Why are we doing this? Why do we not just automate this piece? And we really focus on that, what makes people's lives a misery. And there's a lot in this field to do. I love it.
0: That's amazing. I love the fact that you've been able to translate everything you've learned from one industry and apply it to another industry entirely. Again, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you today, Marianne.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: No problem at all. And uh, yeah, I'm sure our listeners have really enjoyed hearing our conversation. So thank you very much.
1: Thank you very much as well. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Talk Time is brought to you by Max Contact. To find out more about Max Contact and how our customer engagement software can help you and your teams provide smarter customer experiences, visit maxcontact.com and book your personalized demo today. Be sure to search Talk Time with Max Contact in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. And leave us a positive rating to help other like-minded individuals join the conversation. Finally, before you go, never miss a future episode by clicking the subscribe button and turning on notifications. On behalf of the team here at Max Contact, thanks for listening.